Hello and welcome to episode 277 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you this week in different locations. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion, Storm. And I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Well, it's, a, uh, it's an exciting episode. We're bringing back an old friend to talk about the Seahawks. You'll, you'll be excited to hear this one since you, you weren't around for the interview. Like, I, you, God, I hate you so much. <laughs> what? I just, you fucking, you, you scheduled fantasy drafts in the middle of the workday. You. 7.30 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> I was so prepared to talk about how I was about to go to Ashbury Park, New Jersey for the first time ever. I was going to do a Bruce Springsteen impression on this podcast. Uh, and how you doing out there? No, oh, no I just can't even, no. can't even do it. Wow. And uh, this, that's a net positive for the listener that I'm not going to be. I, uh, the trip has now been canceled and I will not be talking about Ashbury Park, New Jersey. Well, that's, that's unfortunate to hear. And I also will not be drafting my own fantasy football team. <laughs> so, in, not in basically any league. Uh, I get, I get Kenny Galladay. We will be pouring one out. With this week's beer, which you picked up yesterday, the It Was Better Last Year IPA, a hazy IPA brewed for the Brewmaster Tap, Brewmaster's Tap Room's fifth anniversary from Sig Bruin. So last week we had one celebrating what is now my local beer spot. This oh, one, there we go. Definitely your local beer spot when you were in Cascade, but still sort of your one now since you, you went there yesterday. Uh, brewed for the fifth anniversary of our friends at the Brewmasters Tap Room in Renton, 2021 feels like a bit of an enigma as it is difficult to reference what last year felt like, but we know for sure the 2020 anniversary beer for Brewmasters Tap Room had to be better than whatever it is in this can. Hindsight's 2020. This year's version is loaded with Roy Farms, ADHA, 1624 Strata, and Eldorado hops, and brewed with our friends from Yakima's Wandering Hop. Pity we couldn't live up to the hype of the 2020 version that never existed. <laughs> All right, I like that. That's very Pelton Cast vibes. Let's remember I mean, some beers. Let's remember some beers. Uh, I'm into it. The Brewmaster's Tap Room, of course. Uh, very nice spot in, in Cascade, the Cascade neighborhood of Renton, Washington. Uh, a place that, you know, it sits in a strip mall. It's very, very close to a pizza time to a pretty solid teriyaki joint. That's what fucking Renton, Washington is all about, right? Better, it's the home. Better than your current neighborhood teriyaki joint. You're just wrong. Look, it's fine. It's fine. We're going to have season two of the Miyako's Revenge Tour. Miyako's revenge tour. I took on Kaylian's rent revenge team. I love that I just inherited it just to take re- it's always revenge on you. There's somebody <laughs> in the city of Renton who wants to take revenge on you for some reason, even though you're not even in the league. Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's a fresh tasting hop, I gotta say. It's fresh hop oh, season fresh now. Hop. This is not specifically a fresh hop, but it's fresh tasting. Uh one addition to pouring some out for your trip to the East Coast. We are uh toasting. To Mariners manager Scott Service and newly Sandy. promoted oh, no, no. <laughs> president of baseball operations Jerry Depoto, 
both of whom received contract extensions, announced on Wednesday they had been in the final season of their contracts. Uh, on a on a sadder note, we're remembering <laughs> former UW running back Junior Coffee, who broke racial barriers as the first black athlete at his high school into play in the Texas State basketball tournament before coming to Seattle and leading the AAWU conference in rushing in 1962. Coffee was part of the 1963 Huskies team that reached the Rose Bowl, later played five NFL seasons, twice finishing in the NFL's top 10 in rushing after his playing career worked as a renowned horse trainer at Long Acres and Emerald Downs. So an incredible pair of incredible careers for junior coffee. All right. With that, I think it's time to get to this week's interview. All right. We're thrilled to welcome back to the pod. One of our favorite third Pelton brothers, you know, him from Pelton cast live yet last year from coming on to talk about his Russell Wilson story during the off season. Please welcome back Mike Sean Dugar of the athletic. What up? What up? That's an also, honor to intro. That was a good intro. <laughs> also, ho- co-host of the Man to Man Seahawks Man to Man podcast, which is definitely a good listen this time of year. I've been using it to supplement because I missed the last preseason game. Uh, definitely have not been keeping up as closely with the preseason as in past years with nobody playing. So, what, what's kind of been your takeaway from the preseason so far? Uh, I, I I've said this on our pod. I really like. Pete's decision to just say, hey, this stuff doesn't matter for guys who are proven. Um, and I just I just don't know how you can go about it another way responsibly when you see the injuries that happen to guys. I mean, th- there wasn't like many killer ones this year. Like I think J.K. Dobbins was probably the biggest one. Um, but like in the years past, we've seen, I think Odell got hurt in the preseason before. I think Edelman broke or tore something in the preseason before. Pretty sure Jay Cutler was out for the year off of a preseason. No, no, no. Um, Seahawks uh, relevant Canada. example, Tony Romo. Uh, yeah, then he hurt his back out here. That was, um, I mean, that worked out because that was the year the Dak started for them. Yeah, and they, yeah, and they won the division. But yeah, Jay, oh, Jay Keller had to get called out of retirement um, <laughs> because Tannehill got hurt. I want to say so. There's there's been some uh, some ones. I mean, George Fant tearing his ACL in the preseason forced the Dwayne Brown trade. So that was like ultimately a net positive. But right. Yeah, I just in general, I thought that was like I'm skeptical of Pete seeing the light on some things, and you can tell he saw the light um, this year or last year, whatever it was. So that was that was really good. I do think that um, the the training camp in preseason in general, not exposed, but it highlighted something I've kind of thought for a little bit, and really, really came to light in the draft process, and then really came to light and training camp is that we need more people in the media who have either been offensive linemen or have been around offensive linemen like for a while because that's just such a big part of the game that we just no one can confidently analyze I don't think not no one but like of the let's say there's 300 people covering NFL teams right now it's like maybe like five on a beat writer basis really no O-line play and that's just something that once we get to a point where as a media like better at that, I think our coverage will get get better, uh, I think. But like the Seahawks specifically, um, I think they have depth. I think the Raiders game and the Broncos game made it feel that as if they do not, but they do. The problem is if you don't have depth in the trenches and if you don't have depth at quarterback, you can get blown out by any other team. That's just straightforward like i think even if teddy didn't play in the broncos game and it was just drew lock and whoever their third string is um 
they probably still would have lost if they were just started countering with Sean Mannion and Alex Magoo. Right. So I'd like from a depth standpoint, that was like a problem when they started 0-2 and they weren't competitive and weren't scoring any points. And I was like, well, yeah, they don't have depth at like quarterback. Like you need depth at quarterback. That saves everything. If you're if you're starting the first half, you play Alex Magoo for two quarters. No, it's not gonna work. So I do. I think like the depth part of the team was. Uh, there was a little bit of panic after the Broncos game, and I was like, ah, it's probably not that bad. As long as Russ doesn't fall off a cliff, they'll be fine um, with the pieces uh, around him. Uh, I didn't. I felt I felt good about the pass rush. Felt good about the receivers, even though we didn't see many of them. Like I felt good about D and Daryl, uh, in particular D Eskridge. Those are probably two dudes I was like, man, they need to sell me something in the preseason, or this is gonna look pretty bad. D only got a little, a few reps, but I thought D was really good um, in the reps that he got. Um, Daryl Taylor, I just needed him to look like he he was supposed to look. Like, I know that the tackle he beat at the Chargers was, like, some scrub dude. Um, and But it just it just looked right. Like, just from a technique standpoint, that's the, speed, the get-off, even though he was a little late on the get-off, the shoulder dip, the long arm to get to – like, it was just all – it was just all there. Like, he showed those. Even D, uh, D. Eskridge a little bit. Outside of that, I don't try to read too much into the preseason because it just needs so much context. Like, I think I saw a stat. It was, like, highest – Man, who was this? I was PFF had it, and it was like the per- completion percentages or something for the rookie QBs, and we're just like, man, that needs context. That needs so much context. Like, who who went against backups? Who went against starters? Um, like, I think Mac Jones probably went against more backups, whereas like Zach Wilson and Trey Lance probably went against more starters. That's just me guessing. Same with Trevor Lawrence. It was just just really weird. It needs so much context that you're better off looking at like one person or one group or something and analyzing that, whether that's to just like extrapolate a big take off the preseason. I don't know how I got all of that from three games, but <laughs> it was, I mean, that that's what happens when you watch training camp preseason football for like 30 days straight. I, th- I think we're all ready for the regular season at this point. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned D Eskridge and I thought something good that you said on the pod is, like the Seahawks using him the way that they should have used Percy Harvin, not just is a gadget player, but is someone who can do that in terms of stretching the field horizontally with the, the, uh, you know, the, the, I can't remember why uh, the fly sweep that we saw right. that he ran the other night, but also catch a ball over the middle for 19 yards that maybe could have gone for more had it been something he caught in stride. Definitely would have got, yeah, that would have went. When I watched the replay of it, I was like, oh, this is a bad throw from Gino. Not a bad throw. It was a late throw. It was late. So you had to get it over whoever was guarding the tight end. And that mean it was too high for D and all this other stuff. But yeah, I think, because I mean, the thing about fly sweeps is, and I know Chris is, there's no bigger fan of it. Chris Kidd, my podcast co-host, he loves fly sweeps to death. And I think they are an exciting thing. When people see them, they like get oohed and odd. And it's just like, it, that can't be all that you're good at. Because then you're Tavon Austin. Right, like Tavon Austin in the NFL, not West Virginia, where he was a monster. Uh, but like, if you're Tavon Austin in the NFL, then like, okay, you're getting like three touches a game or something like that. Like, even Robert Robert Woods, I don't know if he leads the league in jet sweeps from last year, but if he did, that number was probably at like I ballpark at like 17 of them or something. Like, it ain't a ton. Um, like, he, his rushing attempts could be higher. But my point is that if that's what you're good at you are not going to be an impact player worth like 
the 56 pick. You're not even worth probably a third round pick if that's like your trick that you're that you're good at. You need to be like, I think D is gonna be ideally would be like a miniature Debo Samuel in that like I just need to get you the ball. It doesn't really matter how I get it to you. I just need to get it to you. Whereas like I think it was Percy wasn't used the right way. He just, it, it just, it just didn't work. And there were some chemistry issues with Percy too. I think D's in a better spot too. Like when they got with, you're, there was like, you don't think he's going to punch anyone the night before the Super Bowl. <laughs> Get, I forget was he punched or did he do the punching? He did the punching. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Cause it was, it was golden that got put in the, uh, in the trash can. I mean, uh, it would be a great outcome if that happened, you know, not for D Eskridge personally, but for the Seahawks. Yeah, no, I mean, like, they uh, completely pivoted a little bit from that. Like, I remember talking to Luke Wilson, uh, twenty one of those stints, he came back when we had open locker room. And we were talking about that because I think it came out on uh, Masters Untold Stories, Percy did. And we were talking about it because it was topical. And Luke just, his, his locker's in, like, the corner um, facing out to everyone else. And I was just, he was like, he said, look around. How many dudes you think in here will throw a punch before the Super Bowl? I looked around. I was like, "All right, let me see. Um, maybe like three. I forget who I named." Um, and he was like, "All right, we had about twelve of those dudes on that Super Bowl team. Like we were crazy, and it worked." Uh, and he was right. I wasn't around for the Super Bowl teams, so I'm like obviously taking his word. But from afar, I can see that he's right. So if D was one of those guys, that'd be cool. But I do think that he can come in and know where he fits in right away, whereas like Percy. It was a it was a struggle. Like I don't think that's the only fight that the receivers had. You know, in the time that 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 Percy was there, I think they fought before a preseason game, uh, the year he was traded as well. Uh, so yeah, I think D. I, I I'm I'm hmm, I'm optimistic about Shane as a play caller and a schemer. I do think that like my takeaway from training camp offensively was also that this is probably not going to be a super great individual team for like fantasy purposes. Like I think Shane's initial goal is to spread it around as much as possible to make it so that like they're hard to stop. Cause it really seems like from the Rams perspective, they decided in the second half of the season, dude, you guys throw it to two people. We can cover that with cover four or cover six or whatever. It's two guys. It's not hard. Um, and Shane was aware he was in those meetings. He understands. So I think the plan is to like, all right, Make them guard six guys from Chris Carson to DJ Dallas to Disley, Everett, Tyler, and DK. Like, stop that. Um, And that's just in, like, 12 personnel for the most part. So, like, stop those guys. So maybe early on that'll be the plan. I bet you that changes (laughs) Um, because consistency is hard in the NFL. Staying healthy is part of that, too. Uh, But that was kind of my other offensive takeaway. Shane's going to try to make it so, like, their wide receiver three can kill you. Versus like once we once you stop Tyler and stop DK, who can be stopped for to be clear, the right coverage can stop anything. But Shane's goal seems to be like, all right, stop that. Now stop Everett, now stop Disley, now stop Chris, now stop DJ Dallas. Oh, and then we just drafted DS. That's the plan. I don't know how well that'll go. Um, because it's like weapons by committee, which is like fine. Uh, but I think that's a good plan. It's a different plan um than the past. So like I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, on that, I have, do have to see them play the Rams though, because they can stop anything. They have Aaron Donald. Uh, I I have done two fantasy drafts so far. I've not drafted a single Seahawks player whatsoever. So, 
I, I think I, you can I, draft him. It just matters where, you know? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the tempo maybe is the one thing that works to their benefit. If there's just more plays, then, you know, there's more balls to go around, period, even if you're spreading them out more, more diversely. But we'll see on that one because we haven't we, we saw like what two possessions of real tempo in the first two games of the preseason yeah and they were both killed by negative not negative plays one of them was killed by like three straight penny runs that gained like six total yards it was a very weird it was a very weird change i mean i guess you probably have to that's one of those things where and you've talked to enough offensive linemen they'll test it it's just like do we hate pass blocking like you can't just call 12 12 passes in a row like you got to mix it up for us and for no other reason so that we're not just backpedaling every snap going against these freak athlete pass rushers um but i so that's where i am skeptical is the is the tempo thing i trust that that's the goal i trust that that's in the wheelhouse i do tom cable thought of that too like he would you know like daryl bevel thought of that too shane's not reinventing the wheel right you know like oh let's just go fast it's like come on man chip kelly would still be employed if it was that <laughs> simple you can't run tempo with negative plays and russ's playing style invites those his playing style also invites miraculous plays but like for example um that play that's so impressive in the 2017 game out of arizona where he spins like 12 times and throws it to doug like how are you supposed to run tempo when your quarterback might do that <laughs> you know like you can't you just can't like that was a fantastic play probably one of a top 10 rust play, I think. But it's like, how are you supposed to game plan around that? How are you supposed to pick up tempo when your guy might do that? And what if he does that? And it's a sack for loss of 18. You know, like, it's just, you just don't. So I, I think that that's a good plan. The tempo stuff is a great plan. That's just one of those, I got to see it. I got to see it work. I need the O-line to back that up. Because, you know, what else kills, you know, tempo is a false start, a hold. You know, negative plays or just plays for nothing just kill all of that. And so I think I think the tempo stuff looks good in practice. Of course it does. But, yeah, I, I need to see that. I need to see like a four-game sample of that before I'm like, all right, I buy it. I do think there's some value to it. But one of my theories is that fans think it's way more valuable than it is because what happens is, is you alluded to, you run tempo after a successful play, you know, a long Correct. run, a long completion. So they confuse the, well, it happened. Like there's always good plays associated with it, but they're not because of the tempo. They're causing the tempo instead of the other way around. Right. Yes. Yeah. Most teams, most teams do that. It's like, all right, we just caught a 30 yard bomb. All right. Let's keep them in this personnel. Yep. Let's move it. You know, especially if you convert on um, third down. It's a good time to run tempo because they probably have their third down defense on the field. So that's when you can maybe sneak in some runs because now their big boys are off the field and they can't sub. And that's when maybe you do run it. Um, you know, let's sneak in something because now they don't have a, they don't have their Al Woods on the field. They don't have their Puna on the field. So I get it. But yeah, I'm with you. You, you, you success ignites the tempo. That's like when I actually, I actually watched and I said, how do you determine when and when to not use a tempo? He basically was like, I'm not going to tell you that. Um, now, now I know I know the answer. Um, um, and, and part of it has to do with what I said about personnel. Um, but I was curious to just see if he'd tell me. Um, and he didn't. But, yeah, I already, I've already known that. The receivers have spilled the beans on that. But, yeah, it's like it's a personnel thing as much as it's a 
all right, let's do it thing. No, you need to do that in a way that is advantageous. And like you said, spurred usually from a big play, not the other way around. I like that you asked him that. I feel like a lot of media members, like something like that, like they won't even ask. And it's like, well, what's the worst they're going to say here? They're not going to say anything at all. But maybe well, they do. I, yeah. I do that sometimes with Pete too. I, I like ask three dudes a thing, get an answer. He doesn't know I have the answer because it was in a one-on-one. And then I'll ask him just to see if he'll tell me, you know, and sometimes, and sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Um, it's pretty fun. Shane got a taste of that too. I don't know if he knows that I know. Maybe he'll find <laughs> out now, but uh yeah when a couple of receivers already spilled the beans (laughs) it's i know that it's someone's job up there to monitor stuff because they they know that i know they can't listen to all of our radio hits and podcast appearances but it's someone's job to monitor they got to because who knows what if we're just spilling all the kinds of state secrets out here they'd have to they'd have to be able to monitor that so they can limit our access even more Yes, absolutely. All right, let's talk about the uh, the moves we've seen this week with cutdown and then substantial movement post-cutdown. Uh, let's start with talking about the cornerback room and the addition of Sidney Jones there. I, I know you went through and watched his tape uh, from last year with Jacksonville. What was kind of your takeaway from that? I don't know what Jacksonville Maybe I don't. I need to go look who was a def- defensive coordinator. Something Todd. Something maybe he is. I didn't understand what they were doing. Maybe that's why they were so bad. I think they lost fifteen games or whatever. So maybe maybe that ex- explains it. They just I just didn't understand. Um, and then even watching, I watched their preseason too. I watched two of their preseason games, um, including their most recent one against the Cowboys, in which they I think they lost. Um, no, they they, no, Sydney, they won that pretty easy. They won because they they had their oh, starters they? going against Dallas. Didn't play anybody. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Dallas. I, yeah, we go. I'm, I'm watching it from the hard knocks lens. Um, yes. Um, Sydney was like in the slot, and then he was like playing left corner. I was like, Damn, they got this dude playing everywhere. So that was my first thing. Was like they moved Sydney so much because I used, um, excuse me, Pro Football Reference and True Media to see all right where was Sydney lining up, and it said like right corner, left corner. I was like, that's weird. Excuse me. Um. And you can see, like, he does, he about like, one play will be over there, one play will be over there is really weird. Um, the other thing is he reminds me a lot of the other corners on the roster is that he'll make a play, and you would be like, oh, wow, that was great. Like, I think, so the first play that jumped out was I went to the Green Bay game from Week 10 last year. I went there because that was, like, his highest-graded PFF game against, a, like, a good team. Uh, he had a really high grade against Houston. Um, but I started with the Packers game. First quarter, he breaks up a play against Devontae Adams and man coverage on third down. I'm like, oh, that was great. Literally the very next drive, we have a 78-yard bomb to Marquez Valdez-Scanling. And I was like, what the hell? That is like – I was like, oh, you're a Seahawk corner. Like yeah, the yeah. current iteration of a Seahawk corner. I think of the play um, in the preseason with the Denver game uh, for Akella Witherspoon. Plays great coverage on a goal ball against K.J. Hamler. Or, yeah, K.J. Hamler. And then the very next play, Jerry Judy gets him for 35 yards. And it's just like, oh, this is – this is the inconsistency that Pete has somewhat identified in his, in his guys. It's very, very strange. And Trey Flowers is kind of the same way where he'll make a play. And then it, the, uh, later that game, like, man, that was – how didn't you get a chat around or something? Uh, so I, th- I thought that was kind of interesting. He looked like a Seahawk guy in that way. I don't know if that's good or bad. The other thing was um, he was really good on – so he's playing a lot of off coverage, I thought, there, which was interesting uh, and probably not not a great idea. But the more I watched his film, I could see why. Is because when he covers in-breaking routes, 
he just sees it and goes and he just his recovery speed is really good there i think the two picks that he had one against aaron Rodgers and one against deshaun watson i want to say uh two good quarterbacks to intercept they were both on like in breaking routes where he just saw it and hit it hit it hard um that was really impressive he had a pbu against deshaun uh like week five in the same way um so he he made some plays i think he had one on Tannehill too like these are good quarterbacks that he was making these plays against uh no i think maybe one was stafford actually but also a decent quarterback um but like the bad plays were bad the bad plays were just getting beat real bad by aj brown on the flea flicker getting beat real bad by galladay twice uh i think like so i don't think i don't know why well i don't know what seattle saw what pete saw specifically that was like we need him because he brings something different to our room other than the in-breaking stuff i was like i feel like you're still in the same boat a guy who's gonna maybe in the first quarter make a great play and in the fourth quarter make a bad one you know like that's i don't know what problem that solved um at all and yeah now it seems like uh how do i want to say this quickly i looked at this with quandre when i wrote my quandre dig story seattle's track record of replacing guys who priced themselves out of seattle isn't great you know like i think we saw enough to to like adequately gauge their let's replace frank clark idea it just didn't go well um even their let's replace Jadavian Clowney, it just hasn't gone well um even like let's not to it seems to keep ending in them trading for a veteran right exactly even let's like all right let's not pay earl which fine i'm never even let's cut sherm I don't really like I anybody can be like even when they traded D Hop from Houston, I'm like, yeah, sure, trade him. What's your plan after that? Um, and his plan actually I don't think was too bad. He was like, let's just use that money on like four average dudes. And I was like, all right, well, maybe. That's a, there there might be an argument for that. Uh the way he went about it, Bill O'Brien was stupid, but <laughs> there is like an argument to be like, let's not have one dude making twenty seven million a year, instead have a like a, a Cobb, a Stills, a Fuller and uh whoever else they had there like there's something to that maybe not with those specific guys but with seattle we're i think it, with the replace shaquille griffin thing they're probably on like plan c or d at this point like it just it looks like they're throwing darts and they haven't even played a regular season game yet and that's kind of scary and that's where i question the organization like the kj Wright thing all right you got the first round pick you got your second round pick from 2020 you seem prepared you took them a year in advance cool they let Shaquille walk, and it's like, all right, let's draft a dude. Let's convert Demarius Randall. Let's get a Keller on this one-year prove-it deal. We still got DJ. It seemed like they're scrambling. Let's trade for Sidney Jones. Let's trade for John Reed. Let's bring in Nigel Warrior from the Ravens. Like, dude, uh, like I, I asked Pete Carroll today something, and he said, yeah. You see, uh, I asked him, who's competing on the right side? He said, uh, yeah. he's like, everybody's competing. You see all these dudes you're bringing in? And I wanted to be like, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> why are you bringing in so many dudes you, you play a game of like nine days or something like 10 days dude why are you bringing in so many corners at at, at this point so i still think there's talent in the room but i think we're looking the early returns on this are suggesting and i, I don't this not to say like shaquille was lighting it up in jacksonville i don't know but the early returns are suggesting this is going to be another one of those where the the result is to find a disgruntled corner um midway through the season and like trade for him like to like with philly season is going through the shitter you just call and say hey can we get darius slay like we need to say i could i could easily see that 
we're trending in that direction. Like you said, these these things end with trading for a bit. Although I feel like that's harder at cornerback given the specific demands the Seahawks place on those guys. And that's, you know, surely part of the thinking with Sidney Jones is that, you know, the UW defensive scheme teaches some similar things under Jimmy Lake. But, uh, you know, it, it would have probably made more sense last year when Sidney Jones was just waived than to give up a six round pick for him at this point. The other part of this puzzle that you sort of alluded to was they mentioned you know, Pete Carroll mentioned that T.J. Reed's now working at left cornerback where Akello Witherspoon has been, and that presumably means that Trey Flowers is the starter at right cornerback, which it came as a surprise to me. I mean, you've seen him more, obviously, with the chance to be at practices. Has, has he taken a step forward in his development? So when I wrote about Trey, um, and I made that, I wrote about the corner situation a little bit and made the point that every guy has the same issue. It's either some combination of inconsistency and injury. Trey, it's more inconsistency than injury, which is why I thought it was interesting on was as today, Wednesday, when Pete said, yeah, Trey's been more consistent. That was the first thing out of his mouth, consistency. Because I was like, if that's if that hasn't changed, then you are tripping. But even like today was one of the first times Pete Carroll knows more about football than me, but still like I when he so he's essentially benched a killer with a spoon and promoted Trey Flowers. That because at the start of the camp it was Akella on the left, DJ Reed on the right. By the end of camp, it's Trey Flowers on the right, DJ on the left, Akella to the bench. I don't know how he came to that conclusion based on camp. Like it, there, like I, I just didn't see it. I really did. like he eventually he essentially insinuated that Trey took advantage of DJ Reed being out and took the job back. That's fine, but somehow DJ Reed being out then just took the job from Akello. I didn't. I was like, wait. How did how did we get there? Um, yeah, I just I I just didn't see it. That was probably one of the rarest moments. I'm like, Pete, what are what are you looking? at? Did we watch the same camp? Now he has got more knowledge of like scheme and whatever and behind the scenes and stuff like that, blown assignments and stuff. But I just I just didn't didn't see it. But specifically to Trey, um, I do. I, I wish I had more all twenty two. I don't have all access to all twenty two right now. I was supposed to come back um, before week one. Because Trey, Trey's problem is not necessarily like, okay, you can't cover. It's like when the ball comes your way in these big time moments, like what's happening? Like, it, and it's, it, and when it goes bad, it goes bad. Like, you have like 100 yards, I think, against the Bengals week one of 2019 and give up like another 100 um, against the Packers in that end of that same year. So to book in the season, they're like, the growth wasn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't there. And then he had some games like that in 2020. Um, I feel like Pete's best, Pete's always talked about Trey's growth when he hasn't been targeted. Like, I think he talked about him like highly after like the Buffalo game. It was like, they didn't throw at him. They were busy torching Quentin Dunbar because he had him out there on one leg. I was like, I don't, I didn't see it. So at this point, it's not about like, is Trey getting like burned and stuff and we don't see it. I want to see just attack the ball. You know, the main the main moment I remember from him in preseason was the ball Zay Jones caught over him uh, to open the preseason against the Raiders. So perhaps there's something I'm not seeing, but I didn't see I did see a better version of Trey. But I wrote this, too. I was like, is the is a better version of Trey better than the current version of DJ Reed? Because that's what matters. Pete has decided. Yes. I, 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 I didn't see it. Like when I when I when I heard today that Kello got benched, I'm like, really? 
I, I just I didn't see that. He didn't look like their third best corner in camp. Third best outside corner in camp. He Akello, I mean, he just didn't. So maybe that plan works out, but I, I I'm just not I me, mean, that's where me and Peter aren't on the same wavelength right now. Do you think there's any chance that Akello still starts there and DJ Reed comes off the bench at this point? No, 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 no. I think I think Pete Pete today was very that was his way of saying like okay. DJ Reed got this. That's that's how I read into it. I wasn't sure after the training, after the press conference, like right after. Um, I even asked Curtis Crabtree, KJR, because he sits next to me in the meeting room. I said, Curtis, but how did you how did you hear that? Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, I heard that as DJ Reed just took Akello's job. Um, and I think he was the only person that confident in it. And then I listened back to the audio. I got the transcript, and I was like, Okay, yeah, Curtis is right. Like this is Akello got benched. Um, which is so strange. I'm pretty sure he's their highest paid corner too. Um, yeah, I, apparently, I, if, I, if I was, uh, I tweeted out that it could be D- DJ Reed or Akella with a spoon. That was before I listened to the audio and read the transcript. Nah, nah, nah. DJ, DJ just took Akello's job, or and I. Yeah, that was that was a weird one. Uh, I do think DJ is really good, so I think that'll end up working out. But yeah, I didn't like I said, I didn't see Akello as their third best outside guy in camp. I thought he was, thought he was really solid. Was there anything else from the moves we've seen this week? A flurry of them, even since the uh, the original roster. You mentioned them picking up Nigel War- Warrior off waivers at cornerback. Also, Dakota Shepley as an interior lineman and cutting Phil Haynes to make room for him. And then it looks like a shuffle at quarterback. Sean Mannion out. And apparently, although we don't don't know yet how he's going to fit on the roster, Jake Luton uh, in a, a swap of Beavers at third string quarterback. Anything else stand out to you among the cuts or those moves? Uh, it's, it's weird seeing J- Jake as a former Beaver because I just I remember covering him at Idaho. Uh, Jake Luton, that is, he started his career there. He used to back up uh, Matt Linehan, Scott Linehan's uh, son, the University of Idaho. And there was this big controversy because like we all could see that Jake was better than Matt. Huh. But Matt Matt was more experienced. His dad, I think, played quarterback at the University of Idaho, so probably a really big donor and influential. That stuff matters over there. Um, and it felt like really political. Um, and then Jake transferred and then ended up being an NFL quarterback. And, like, I forget what – I think Matt's coaching now, like the University of Missouri. Um, but anyway, so of all those moves, the Phil Haynes one was a little surprising. Um, I thought he was really good in the preseason. I thought he was fine. Thought he looked like the guy that they thought they were getting out of Wake Forest in um, uh, 2019. I thought that was a little bit surprising. Um, what else? Keeping three QBs, I don't really like. There was some people trying to rationalize to me in my comment section, like maybe he's like Sean Manuel was being kept to like explain the offense to Russ or something. I was like, seems like you can do that on the practice squad. I mean, a, you can do it on the practice squad. At, B, may, Russ maybe. is not stupid. Right. <laughs> That's like that. That's an indictment of that's an that's an insult to Russ's intelligence. Russ has the playbook. Like I'm, I don't know Sean Mannion well at all, but I don't think that if he needs, I I don't think Russ needs him to teach him anything. Honestly, I really don't. Uh, So I thought that was I thought that was strange. Um, Keeping three quarterbacks, keeping three quarterbacks at a time when depth is just going to be so tested. That's where I thought Phil Haynes and Jordan Simmons cuts might come back to to bite them depth is going to be tested i think the winner of i think i'm pretty confident in saying this that the winner of every division in the nfl 
will probably be the team that is the healthiest with maybe some, maybe like the AFC West, maybe, but even then one, one injury. And I think the chargers could take that from the chiefs, depending on who the injury is to maybe if it's the Kelsey or Tyreek or something, the chargers are never going to be the healthiest team in, in any. Group, right. Yeah. Know? That's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. They are cursed. Um, but like, that's they're, they're probably the team where the gap between the best team and the rest is the widest, depending on how you feel about the gap between Tennessee and Indianapolis. But like, my point is that it's going to be a war of attrition and you need depth early. I mean, this is the team that lost two of their starters to torn ACLs in the same week. And it was week two last year. Jamal got hurt in week one, hurt his elbow. Like I think Rasheem Green got hurt in week one and missed several weeks. So like, I think the depth, the keeping a third quarterback costing you, that's costing you an extra lineman or an extra linebacker, or extra safety or whatever. Probably, probably an extra dangerous. receiver. Uh, yeah, the four receiver thing I actually kind of got. Um, the reason I got it is just because you could afford to do that because the other, the guys that you were cutting to put on their practice court aren't going to get picked up. Yep. I think people really over and we're seeing it every year. People really overestimate who's going to get snatched. Um, somebody tweeted me during the third preseason game. I was like, Mike, you got to tell him to keep Josh Johnson. Cause he's going to get, you know, on the 53. I was like, dude, nobody's picking up Josh Johnson. Um, that's not, not a knock to Josh. It's just, you know, it's, you have to do a lot for other teams to want you like, how many guys, guys got claimed 27? I think it was, which, you know, isn't a ton considering all the dudes that got cut. Uh, I think it was like 27 per team, I think actually. Uh, so 27 total getting cut is pretty, is pretty significant. Like for that Nigel warrior dude to get cut. Like I was talking to our Ravens dude today and I was like, dude, who the hell's coaching DBs over there? How do they just have this surplus of corners where they can trade Sean Wade and cut this Nigel warrior dude and then still have enough good DBs. Like the, he was like, he was like, yeah, man, every DB they played <laughs> was good. <laughs> they had, they cut a bunch of good dudes. Uh, and like, that's why when Pete was like, yeah, no, this guy's good. I bet you he is. Uh, Cause the Ravens have a bunch of a good corners. So like those moves were the Phil Hayne stuff, cutting the depth, keeping a third quarterback. Didn't, didn't make a ton of sense to me. The four receiver thing. I think I get, I didn't get, uh, not having a Shari Crosswell or Josh Moon um, on the on the practice squad, I think they're playing with their depth at safety a little bit too much. Um, like I thought, Josh Moon was really good. I thought Ashari had some potential at least on the practice squad, but it looks like they just decided, all right, who goes our backup free safety and Marquise is too. I guess they're kind of figuring if it gets that bad, where we need. Where, where they have so many injuries that they need like both of them starting and like season is probably over anyway. Uh, so I guess I, I kind of get those moves, but yeah, they, the old line stuff is where I think it's going to get, it's going to, that could come back to bite them a little bit because I think I would put all the money I have in my bank account that no team finishes with all five linemen starting all 17 games. That's just not, you're going to need to, and you're probably going to need backups in big games too. Now the guys are going to get hurt in week four. I mean, what the lot, when did Bakhtari get hurt? When did the chiefs lost their whole line, the biggest game of the year, like it, your depth is going to be tested. So I'd be, I'm so I'd be surprised if Phil Haynes and Jordan Simmons don't get picked up. If they don't, they should bring them back. Cause that's, that's depth. They're going to need. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. They still got three open roster spots on the practice squad, how they fill those spots, whether it's some outside players or some of these guys that they just waved, hoping that they can get through as well. Uh, last thing I want to ask you about is the status of Quandre Diggs and Dwayne Brown. Quandre Diggs, after not practicing last week, and Pete Carroll's comment that he was making a statement, said that it wasn't necessarily related to you know his hope for an extension. It was you know a personal uh, business matter. And then we had the report from Mike Garofolo of NFL Network. And yes, that is how it's pronounced. Tristan's not here to hear that, but I was correct. <laughs> I never that. get it right. I never get it right. I wouldn't looked it up. Uh, that that they Seahawks might sweeten Dwayne Brown's contract to help, you know, end his hold in. And Pete expressed optimism again today that he would be on the field for week one. How how are you feeling about those two situations? Um, I do think they'll play. I, I think that like what's what people underestimate is like how much of what when you go out there, you're out there for your brothers, the guys next to you. Like even when guys retire, that's the thing they miss. Nobody misses camp. Nobody misses practice. They miss being in the locker room on a Thursday, man, when you're having a bad day and your funny teammate comes in there and just says something to you, that lightens you up. You know, that's what they miss. And so the guy, you're not, no one's going to report to camp. And go like watch, and then like when the bus leaves for Indianapolis, like all right, you guys figure it out. See it when see when my check clears. No, because you can't. They're gonna look at you away. Like Cam Chancellor's holdout was detrimental in that way, because it wasn't because they didn't understand the business aspect. They did, but at the same time, they were like, dude, you're letting us down. Like we got a game against the Rams to start the season. We got Green Bay on Sunday Night Football week two, and you're at the crib, healthy. We need you, and Deion Bailey ain't it, right? Like that was that that let them down. Like I. That that holdout was just really problematic. I might be able to write about that one day, but like it, it was the problem. And that was somebody who didn't report in Cam. Like if you report, like we see you every day, and then you go not get on this bus, and we got a championship to go win. So I never thought that they either one of them would miss regular season games. Um, I'd be surprised if they sweeten Dwayne's deal because they don't need to. Like Dwayne's gonna play, they know that. And if he tries to call their bluff, they should just stare right back at him. I mean, from a business standpoint, like, do I think Dwayne should get paid? Yeah. You know, I'm always pro player, but like Seattle has no incentive to do that. He's going to get on the bus to Indy. If he was now, if he decides to not get on the bus to Indy, I think if I'm Seattle, we can play chicken in that way. Like, let's see, let's see. The bus is warm. It's Friday. You coming or not? Um, I, I, I think he'll play ball in that way. Dwayne's too, man. Dwayne's so dedicated to his craft, man. Like he was, he was willing to try new stuff to be dedicated to his body in like year 13. You're like, right, I'm going to do yoga, I'll meditate, whatever I have to do to help this team win a championship. That's what he's willing to do last season. And I'm pretty sure he's willing to do all that same stuff this year. Like, for example, today, excuse me, after Pete Carroll talked and we're all walking back to the meeting room, there's Dwayne Brown running hills by himself, you know, like at like five in the afternoon, practice is over, and there's big old Dwayne Brown running hills by himself. Like that dude is not about to sit – games and john snyder's office overlooks the field he told me once uh it's like you're feel i can see everything it's like he sees that guy that dude is not about to miss any games the quandary situation is a little bit um from short term i think quandary will play like it really just sounds like um i think i think the seattle times reported this too and that matches my theory probably quandary just took out an insurance policy i think frank clark took out one in 2018 as well for the same reason, like, oh, you're not going to pay me. All right, let me make sure I get that. I think it's like a loss of value policy. I think Chance Warmack actually got one of those. Um, forget when, but 
anyway, so I'm not too worried about that. The long term with Quandre is concerning because, like we were talking about earlier, they just don't have a good track record replacing the guys that price themselves out. Like, it's not as just though they don't pay a guy and they go pay another guy. No, they just don't pay anyone. Like, if Quandre's like, hey, I want 14 million, they're like, no. All right, he walks and signs with, I don't know, the Chargers or something, right? Or whatever. They're not going to just go sign the other safety out there. No, they're going to roll with Ugo. They're going to roll with Marquise. They're going to draft some kid from like Iowa State in the third round or something like that. And they're going to sign some dude we never heard of to some one year prove a deal and then pray that it works out. And then like, Six weeks, six weeks, and into into that experience, like, all right, who, which safety out there is pissed at their team that we can grab? I just don't trust their judgment in that way. I really don't think any plan has really worked out. Am I missing? I'm trying to think of a player that priced themselves out and they had an adequate plan to replace that guy that worked. I Mm. really can't think of one. They traded yeah. Michael Bennett and drafted McDowell. No, oh. they drafted Rasheem. Then drafted LJ. Yeah, yeah I just, I, I just don't. I, yeah, I just don't. I mean, they drafted maybe, four DBs in 2017. Maybe Golden Tate. What did they do after Golden? I can't remember. Yeah, the exact Locked. timeline is tough to say. Tough for me to remember anymore. I know they drafted Tyler after they lost the Super Bowl. Um, so that was that, that definitely worked out. Um, but I don't remember what they did specifically because in 2014, were they starting? Like, oh, that's true. Yeah, that was the year where it got rough. Oh, they had Percy, I guess. Yeah, they still had Percy. So they had Percy, Paul, Paul Richardson. Doug. Oh, they drafted P. Rich. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm that not worked bad out at fine. That point. Yeah, that worked out fine. I, I, I don't think that's a that's a bad outcome. Yeah. yeah, he didn't he didn't stay as healthy as they would have liked, but that, that's a, like, all right, let's not pay Golden whatever it was at the time, and let's draft this kid with the 40th pick or whatever. Like, I can get down with that plan. That that was it didn't like the plan itself was decent enough, but since then, like replacing Earl, replacing Mike B, replacing Sherm, now replacing Shaq, replacing Frank, replacing Frank went terrible. Yeah. It had a terrible pass rush for like. A year and a half. Uh, Russell Okun, add him to the last. Oh, good God. Because that's yeah. what eventually leads you to the Dwayne Brown trade. Yeah, see, so that is my fear with Quandre because we're dealing with the same regime, so those 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 past decisions are instructive. I just don't I don't trust them to, like, let Quandre walk and have a plan. When they let dudes walk, they usually don't have one, at least not a good one. Uh, so that's my, I mean, honestly, I'd rather see them pay a good player who's 28 out of fear than, than be overconfident in their abilities to replace a guy. Because we have like, we just named like five, six dudes that they let walk because of cash and had to pour more assets into replace. That's just not that you can avoid that by paying the good players. You know, you can't, especially Quandre, Quandre's 28. I'm older than Quandre. Like, pay, you know, pay the guy. He's good. You know, you'll, you probably won't, you probably will regret letting him walk faster than you regret paying him. Probably. You could regret both one way or the other, but you're probably going to regret letting him walk a little faster, in my opinion. Well, we will never, uh, never regret letting you leave as a third Pelton brother and <laughs> underestimating your value to this pod. 
appreciate the time once again in the checking in from training camp in the preseason. Uh, everyone, of course, be sure to follow Mike on the Twitter machine, as you would say, at Mike Dugan. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, at the Athletic Seattle, read all his work, and then the Seahawks Man to Man podcast weekly with Chris Kidd. Thank you. Thank you so much. and appreciate the shout out. All right. Well, thanks again to Mike Sean for joining us. Always a great time with him. I'm so sad to have missed that interview. Anytime, anytime that I have the chance to talk to Mike Sean, I want to take that opportunity. So it's also tough because you will never listen to that interview. We know, we know you'll never go back and listen to it. Well, I'll ask you to summarize what he said for me. Yeah, I'll do it offline. Uh, let's talk about the Mariners quickly. They lost three out of four at home to the Royals over the weekend, but then two out of three against the Astros suddenly back in the mix for that second wild card spot. The Mariners just can't quit the wild card race uh, that that moved them to a solid 72 and 62 with a minus 56 run differential. And they are now three and a half back in the wild second wild card race, a game and a half behind the Oakland A's. Uh, and a gem pitch by Justice Sheffield today in that one nil victory uh, against the Astros. We'll be, back. we'll be we'll be back next week with some hot takes because okay. the takes are gonna if if the situation stays similar to what it is now, the takes are only gonna get hotter. <laughs> they can't get any cooler. They, than were they are cold. now. They were cold last oh, week. Oh wow! Takes, many of the listener noted that the takes were cold. The takes will be getting hotter because the Mariners will be en route to the playoffs next week. <laughs> Of course they will, no matter what happens in the next seven days. All right, let's talk about our our, uh, Sunday evening, afternoon, evening, the doubleheader at Lumen Field, historic OL rain playing in front of a record NWSL crowd, even though they didn't count all the tickets distributed. They just counted the ones that were scanned by the 80th minute of that match. So not everyone was in the stadium yet, but a good percentage of the crowd was, and it was still enough to set NWSL record. Uh, and then after that, the Sounders playing the nightcap against the Timbers. Uh, and in between, we went and ate in Pioneer Square. No, we did not notably eat at Pioneer at uh, at Cookies Country Chicken, which we were supposed to be evaluating. We we're supposed to have the next quarter, the last quarterfinal in our search for Seattle's best fried chicken. But because of the fact that I did not think to look when they actually closed on Sundays. That was not an option. So we're going to be delaying that until next week. Look, it, it was a it was a bad play from multiple perspectives on your behalf. Not only not looking up at the time that they closed, but also thinking that we would have been able to have gotten into Cookies Country Chicken at Quality Athletics in between these two soccer matches. This is basically like one of the busiest days of the year for them, maybe outside of a Seahawks game, right? Well, it must not have been that busy because they weren't open. I am telling you right now, if cookies would have been open, they would have done $20,000 in chicken. Like they would have had to be scrambling to go get more chickens. If possibly, they would have been open. Possibly that was the issue is that they, they didn't feel like they were going to have enough chicken because so we ended up going instead to, I was going to say our friends, but maybe our enemies, maybe oh, our frenemies, frenemies for sure. At Pioneer Square DNA, which got knocked out of this bracket in our search for Seattle's best not, fried chicken because they stopped serving bone in. I, I feel like that's not an accurate way to describe it. They knocked themselves out? They they withdrew themselves from the bracket. And we actually were able to go there in person. You know, we'd seen that the 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 bone-in fried chicken wasn't on the menu anymore. We were able to ask the hard questions in person. We showed our VAC status. We walked in. We went inside of the DE meets. And 
we said, do you still have fried chicken? Is it off menu? Because if it was off menu, all of a sudden it would taste even better. Of course. But they informed us that they have moved away from doing bone-in fried chicken. And I say to you, D&E Meats, why? Pioneer Square Deity, for the record. D&E Meats is a local uh, butcher in the, the uh, South End. Why would you ever move away from bone-in fried chicken? It is the number one way to prepare fried chicken, and they did it phenomenally. So were they not listening to the Pelton Cash search for Seattle's best fried chicken? We ate there, and my review of the entire meal was, it was fine, right? I enjoyed the dirty fries in particular. It, it was a good meal. It wasn't phenomenal. But if we'd had some good old-fashioned bone-in fried chicken with goddamn rosemary on it, we would have really been enjoying ourselves during that meal. And to, to, to have a business say that they're moving away from bone-in fried chicken and moving towards chicken sandwiches and moving towards chicken wings, that I just can't get behind. I mean, they previously had the chicken sandwiches and the chicken wings. They didn't move toward them necessarily. Uh, we did not get it. I wanted to try the chicken sandwich because that actually was like the original chicken on the menu there that was so popular. Mm -hmm. But it turns out, as you mentioned, would have been a possibility at Cookies. They ran out of chicken sandwiches. They were serving the last of them just as we got there. You talk about original chicken and I talk about original sin. And that original sin is getting rid of bone-in <laughs> fried chicken at Pioneer Square D&E. I still enjoyed the chicken wings that we had. We also had some ribs that were special. Uh, it's they were definitely fine. Like, it, was, it was all fine. Like and the ribs were good, but the chicken wings were kind of like. I enjoyed the chicken wings. I think more than you did. It made me wish that it had been fried chicken. I agree with that. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the soccer part of this experience. Uh, sadly, because of the fact that you were helping fix my front door, we missed the first half <laughs> of the all rain game. We're going deep on the behind the scenes of the fabulous Pelton lives here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, big, uh, but let me tell you, it has been well worth it having that front door available. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, you're going in, you're going out, you're doing everything you could possibly want for a front door. <laughs> it's really a strip. <laughs> Not locking oh it. God. I can't do that. Yet. Yeah, don't, uh, don't do that. So we missed, sadly... The two OL rain games in this match, Megan Rapino scoring from open play in the 16th minute, followed by goals. converting. We, we were at the games. They <laughs> said games. Sorry, goals. Yes. Megan Rapino scoring. I kind of confused what we were talking about. Scoring from, I mean, we also missed the other OL rain game they played this week, but we got half of it. Uh, scored from open play in the 16th, followed by converting a penalty for third in two weeks. Uh, as we talked about last week with third brother, Pelton brother, Randy Cote in the 40th minute. And we heard the cheer for that one as we were walking in, knew the rain had scored a goal, uh, but did not get a chance to see it. And then Thorne scored off a corner kick in first half stoppage time shortly after we got in. Although I saw the 45 minutes on the clock and went to the bathroom and missed the, the that one too. So I, I was over three of the goals in this match. You were in our seats for that. Uh, rain now is held uh, Portland scoreless in the second half to get that 2-1 win, have won the last five regular season beatings between these two teams. Wow. Although Portland has wins in this year's Challenge Cup and last year's Fall Series. Mm. Portland this season, 10-2-2 against all other opponents in the regular season. 0-2-0 against OL Reign. There we go. Northwest Championship, here we come. <laughs> 
Well, Rain put themselves in position to play for more than that, just that Northwest Championship. On Wednesday, they got a 1-0 win at Houston. An early goal from Bethany Balser, tying her for the NWSL this lead this season with seven. And were never particularly seriously threatened by Houston's attack. Uh, the, moving up to a tie for second in the NWSL standings, wow. albeit with the North Carolina Courage still having a match in hand. And then another important chance to get full points on Saturday on the road is they face an expansion Louisville side that sits ninth out of 10 in the NWSL table. So could continue moving up. This makes sense. And it feels like the rain is finally playing to the ability that we could tell that they had on the roster, uh, you know, uh, with those types of players it was kind of mysterious why they weren't excelling a little bit sooner in the season. I mean, they and... just really didn't have all the players, Rapino, Roosevelt, who's new, Eugenie Lesomere, uh, Jennifer Romero, Sean, uh, didn't really have all of them together until this post-Olympic period. And they lost, I think, their first, well, the Olympians weren't back for the one they lost. Since they, they've been back, they're 3-0. and Things are clicking into place here for the rain. It feels good. Like they're going to make a, make a real push here. Uh, it was not as good in the nightcap for your Seattle Sounders who lost two, nothing to Portland, continuing a bizarre trend where the road teams have won all three meetings between these two teams this season. And the road teams are a collective nine, two and three in their last 14 regular season matchups in MLS play dating back to 2017. Uh, it was tough because, especially because it kept feeling like the Tim, the the Sounders were on the verge of scoring in this one, and it was a shot off the crossbar. It was a shot tipped away by Portland's keeper, who was outstanding in this one. You know, the Sounders had a lot of opportunities in this match, and I think th- there were a number of them that easily could have gone in. Obviously, hit the crossbar quite a few times, and balls that went across goal. It's kind of the way it goes sometimes. You know, that that's the reality of professional soccer is that you could probably outplay your opponent in various situations and still end up with an L in this column. And I think it was, it was just an unfortunate night for the Sounders. I wouldn't take too much from it. No, I don't think so either. Timbers scoring against the run of play early in the second half in what had been a scoreless match. And then it's one nothing in the late stages. Sounders kind of putting Portland under fire in uh, in pressure to try to go for that tying goal, and then Portland gets a breakaway at the other end and converts a rare opportunity oh, yeah. and makes it two nothing. And I think the real thing that we have to take from this is that run differential is actually bullshit. <laughs> and the thing that you have to factor in is that fun differential is all that matters. Oh, but I don't know if that was my takeaway for this one. If if you're gonna lose, why not lose by two? What's the difference, right? You know. It, similar to how the Mariners give up runs because they're trying harder uh, to hit or pitch. Um, And so they lose by more, I think is what's happening. I don't know if I follow this logic. That's what's, that's what happened in the Sounders in this match is that it did the second goal didn't matter, whatever. Like, well, yeah, I was surprised to see the, the Sounders ended up according to 538's soccer power index with slightly worse shot-based expected goals in this one, even though they dominated the non-shot, like the, the possession-based uh, expected goals, which is actually sort of the inverse of the match these two teams played in Portland a couple of weeks ago, 
where the Timbers dominated the non-shot expected goals. Sounders had a slightly slight advantage in these shot-based expected goals and won that one six to two. So on aggregate, Sounders still coming out ahead in terms okay. of goal differential. Yeah, we're surprised that <clears throat> five thirty-eight was off on some numbers. Well, I I think they're they're I think the X goals are pretty similar across the metrics. Uh, Sounders off this week for the MLS international break. Five players currently on international duty, including both World Dance, who will face off against each other as the U.S. starts USMNT starts its World Cup qualifying tour in El Salvador. Wow. A so rule Dan be- blood match. It's like Pelton versus Carasino. <laughs> Many are saying. If it's anything like this podcast, I, <laughs> no one will watch. One of them will be highly distracted. Oh, well. <laughs> the other one will interview Mike Sean without their brother. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I don't know what the equivalent of that is in soccer terms. <laughs> Uh, Brian Schmetzer said on his weekly KJR experience, experience, I don't know why I wrote that appearance <laughs> to expect Stefan Fry. The worst podcast we've ever done. This is it. No, it's not. It's not oh, get out the cup. <laughs> <laughs> you can drink for the Pelton cast worst podcast cup. We drink beer from it. Uh, <laughs> To expect Stefan Fry back for the next game on September 11th versus Minnesota with Nuhu likely returning to the starting lineup as well. Nuhu was available off the bench on Sunday, but did not play because the Sounders were trailing in that one. Hey, Sandy girl. <laughs> you keep singing. It's definitely going to be the worst. Uh, Seattle Storm. I was going to walk on the boardwalk. A really tough weekend for them at home against the Chicago Sky, suffering a 73-69 loss on Friday and a 107-75 loss Sunday that tied the largest ever at home in franchise history. I was gonna gonna go to the Stone Pony. <laughs> the Storm shot three of 17 from three-point range on Friday, followed by the Sky shooting 15 of 22 on Sunday, the highest three-point percentage by a team in a game. This season storm now two back of the Las Vegas aces for second in the West and three and a half back of the sun for first in the WNBA standings with four games remaining. But you're concerned now, actually probably the rear view meter Minnesota's a half game back Phoenix, one game back, even in the loss column. And those have been two of the league's hottest teams since the Olympic break storm do hold the tiebreaker over the links, but the head to head tiebreaker versus Phoenix won't be decided until the season finale between those two teams on September 17th, uh, relatively quiet week. The storm had some time off, which is much needed after the five game road trip and the two home games to start the, uh, the second half of the season after the commissioner's cup win, uh, Thursday, they're back in action, hosting the New York Liberty old friends, Sammy Whitcomb and Natasha Howard, part of last year's championship team will be here and presumably be honored with their championship rings. And then Tuesday, it's the Washington Mystics who come in reeling with Lena Deladon back on the sidelines, unfortunately, after she returned to the lineup against the storm. Uh, what is happening with the storm right now? Well, conveniently, I have a piece up on ESPN.com. By the time you listen to this, I'm quite confident that we'll talk about that. And it's mostly all shooting luck. Like, their shots haven't gone in, which is probably some fatigue. Brianna Stewart has particularly struggled since the Olympics. Uh, also, you know, uh, busy with the birth of her child. And uh, Subert and Jewel Lloyd have seen slightly smaller effects since the Olympics. And then they had the second lowest opponent three-point percentage before the Olympic break. 
which probably was not sustainable. Since the Olympic break, including that Chicago game, opponents have shot the highest percentage on threes against the Storm in the WNBA. So you add those two up, it's kind of the recipe for this kind of slump. Okay. So so you're, you're going to blame it all on shooting luck at this point? It derives determines most of what happens in basketball games. I really pretty much reduced it to that. <laughs> God. I mean... It still matters because now they're probably going to be the three or maybe the four, or potentially even the five seed, which means you have pretty to pretty much pl- reduced it to that. You you have to play a single elimination game as opposed to the top two teams that advance directly to the best of five semifinals. So it's going to be much, and that game could be against Chicago. That's a, a reasonable possibility back in Seattle after the sky just won twice in Seattle. So that, that doesn't feel great, certainly. He's taking off his shoes and one of his socks. And (laughs) actually, I think he's crying. (sighs) Should we wrap up by talking about UW football? Because it is game week for the Huskies. Okay, so this, 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 look, I understand. It's the worst podcast. We have the trophy. We've drank from it. I get it. Uh, The cup, sorry. Not a trophy for the record. You just think that because you didn't listen to Mike Sean. He's redeeming this entire podcast. I'm fucking, that's for me. That's why it's the worst podcast because I okay. didn't even get to be on with Mike Sean. That makes it even worse. <laughs> I knew that you were on with Mike Sean and I wasn't there. I, I was in the midst of not going to Ashbury Park, New Jersey while you were interviewing Mike Sean. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what could be worse in life. Anyway, this always springs up on us every single year. All of a sudden, Football that counts starts happening. And this is real football this weekend. And in fact, I could go. Yeah, that's the upside of you not going to Ashbury Park. Yeah, here's, I, the, there was, here's the reality is people don't no, go anywhere because you're going to get COVID. When there was no college football being played in Ashbury Park, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I don't know about that. And and NJIT, are they close? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know where they are, but I'm pretty sure it's not by there. Rutgers, uh, Rutgers has to be pretty near there, right? You know, no, Rutgers is much closer to like New York, right? Anyways, you know, as as a as a as a Jersey Coast person, I don't really acknowledge the closer to New York parts of New Jersey. Exactly. Yeah, but there is a real you football need a, game. You need a boardwalk. <laughs> I gotta have a boardwalk. <laughs> uh there is a football game that is going to count in the standings happening this weekend. Look, the Pac-12, we know many, many said on this very podcast, many who are present here, that they should not have played a season last year. But it's a whole new year. It's 2021. There is a football game. It's not a whole other year for some, some schools in the Pac-12, I would say. Some schools in the Pac-12 are still dealing with the effects of COVID-19 on a day-to-day basis and what they did last year uh, and two players who opted out. But UW, highly vaccinated, has moved forward. Thank you. There is, there is a football game that is going to count in the standings. Look, we have gotten to the point of the pandemic that we can play frivolous football games against the University of Montana. Like, bring it on. By the way, I... I don't know that you obviously you can't rethink the schedule at this point. A team that does not appear to be highly vaccinated 
is the University of Montana Grizzlies. Uh, their coach, Bobby Houck, the former UW assistant coach, uh, set a goal of 65 to 85% of the team being vaccinated by game <laughs> one. That's what he said. And could definitely could not find anything about his own status. Oh, no. So, you know, don't get too close pregame. It's, I guess, what I'm saying here. <laughs> Uh, They're gonna have to, I don't like where were they scheduled teams from? Obviously not Montana, of course. <clears throat> the California, strictly California. Yeah, I feel like UC Davis. Oh yeah, Sac State, Portland State, <clears throat> Portland State. I think would be good. Yeah, I I like that. I like I like where we're going after there. See, the thing is, UC Davis, you might you might be getting a little bit too into like country farm territory. I still think that UC Davis had a very strong COVID-19 response last year, actually. Ex- excellent testing there by the all accounts. Right. Yeah. All right. Go Broncos. Uh, the first depth chart is out for you, Dob. Big surprise is that both Bookie Radley-Hiles and Cameron Fabiculanin, thought to be competing for the nickel spot, have been listed as starters. Wow. One of them. I did. I, I am so <laughs> surprised that those two ridiculous names that I've never heard before are have both listed in the nickel spot. Is this this is a common thing? I feel like I pay a little bit of attention here. You just named the most random names that you could have named. Well, we talked about Bookie Radley Hiles, who Radley Hiles, who was a transfer from Oklahoma, uh, substantially on the podcast. I'm sure. All right, let's fucking him. get it. Bookie Radley Hiles. Dog, if that's not a second round draft pick in the NFL, <laughs> I don't know who is. <laughs> Uh, if the uh, Arizona Cardinals didn't just draft Bookie Radley Hiles, like I don't know who did. That's that's true. That is that is very fair. So one of them presumably will start at safety alongside Julius Irvin, who was listed as the starter at safety, not to be confused with Julius Irving. Uh, another surprise: Jillian Polk was listed as the third starting receiver, presumably in the slot alongside Terrell Bynum and Rome Adunze. Uh, Polk, another transfer from Texas Tech. Co-running back starters listed as Richard Newton and Cameron Davis with an or on backups, Sean McGrew and Kamari Pleasant. So all four of those guys will surely see plenty of playing time. And Sam Heward listed as the co-backup quarterback with Patrick O'Brien, who's missed time in camp due to injury. Uh, lastly, the, the other position of note on the depth chart this week, Julius Bulow, the winner of the competition at left guard over incumbent Ulamo'o Ale. Great. The or under Sean McGrew stands for, or can you believe that he's still in college? <laughs> That's been a while. Yes. Started running back or he's been a grad assistant for three years, right? <laughs> I mean, look, you know, people make jokes about like, oh, so-and-so has been in college for six years. And it's usually like, who is the, I feel like there's a guy for like Oklahoma or Texas that this this, this joke, this joke got made uh, a lot about, or at Kansas, it was someone at Kansas, uh, maybe Bradley Ellis. Was that the guy? Perry Ellis? Because he was balding, but he had only played four years. Like Sean McGrew legit started at UW in 2017. This is only year five for him, but you could have a lot of six-year seniors this this year. Sean McGrew's been starting since Barack Obama was president at the University of Washington. I think he scored a touchdown. All right, talk, let's talk a little bit about Montana. It's the second meeting between these two teams since 1951, back when they were conference rivals in the Pacific that Coast Conference. Cannot, cannot be. No, they only played in 2017. Wow, I disagree with that information. 
Okay, take it up with you, the sports information department. I also like that this is the second former predecessor to the Pac-10 slash Pac-12 we've listed in this podcast. It's Let's remember some conferences. What A, conference? The Pacific Coast Conference. Oh, the PCC, yeah. But we also listed the AAWU earlier. That's what Junior that. Coffee led in rushing. I heard that. Uh, by the way, we should note the Pac-12 announced that they will not pursue expansion at the current time what are they gonna expand to fucking kansas like no shit they're not gonna expand to iowa state and kansas are you fucking kidding me could have been the the pac-12 will not pursue the fucking garbage teams that want to be in the pac-12 they would have pursued expansion texas and oklahoma yes no no, they for sure would have yes this Uh, is not a perspective issue on the pac-12's behalf it's an interest on the other side's behalf nobody wants to be in the pac-12 no i think those schools would probably have rather been in the pac-12 than the husk of the big 12 oh yeah yeah if if literally the worst football colleges in the country wanted to be in the pac-12 they would gladly accept them Schools that somehow employed Charlie Weiss two decades later. I mean, there's more than just football. I don't know if you've heard that Kansas has a very good men's basketball team. I actually don't know if you heard, but nobody gives a shit about anything but football. We've talked about this. I mean, people still care about basketball. In the state of Kansas, they do. They've got their fucking peach basket. They care about basketball in the state of Kansas. That's it. Uh, so anyways, these two teams, <laughs> UW and Montana, played in 2017 when the Huskies won 63-7. to The game was briefly tied 7-7 after a Montana interception return for a touchdown. I think Before, I remember that. I don't. Before UW scored twice in a 132 span. We were there, right? Oh, yeah. Second on a Dante Pettis punt return and never looked back. Uh, the Grizzlies are coming off a two-game spring schedule, beating Central Washington and Portland State by a combined 107 to 10 score. Both both schools that are probably more vaccinated. Uh, they reached, <laughs> reached the FCS quarterfinals in 2019, their last full season. Uh, Bobby Houck, as I mentioned, former UW assistant in his second stint at his alma mater, now the winningest school in winningest coach in school history with 99 wins. Their starting quarterback is is a quad native, Cam Humphrey who started three games due to injury in 2019 in both games in the spring season, combining for 472 yards and five touchdowns. Slot receiver Gabe Salser caught eight of those passes for 145 yards and two touchdowns, and they were led in rushing by freshman Xavier Harris, who had 148 yards in the two games. All right. Uh, well, most importantly, Jake Browning did nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the interception in that game was something wrong, but yes. <laughs> They won like 53 to seven. His overall stat line was like 24 of 26, I think, in that game. It was something pretty ridiculous. Look, the 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 pressure's on Dylan Morris. <laughs> we'll see. Also, uh, Jake Brennan may have done some things wrong in the Vikings preseason slate, which is why Sean Mannion is now replacing him as the Vikings practice squad quarterback. You didn't ooh, see this news? No. Well, you know what? Wait, by the way, we didn't have to the Seahawks. Sean Mannion? They waved him. The Jake Luton, we talked about that in the section. He's coming in. They've, well, they've, I didn't hear that. They've swapped out one Oregon State quarterback for another. So the, the Seahawks have signed shooting Luton? It is not official yet, but that is... He That's the plan? Post, he has posted on Instagram, coming home, 12s. Was there a swipe up or anything? <laughs> no, there was no swipe up. Oh, it was a grid post? 
No, it was a story, but it didn't link to anything. Okay. <laughs> we'll see if he's verified. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have not checked into that. I saw this secondhand. Uh, so you made me think that the Seahawks had traded for Sean Petty yesterday. I fucking drafted him in fantasy just because of that today. It's like, I'll, I'll, I'll take a flyer. Also, Jameis is being drafted really, really late in fantasy. I agree. Okay. Probably because people worry that Taysom Hill might start over him. No. 100% sorry. I'm, so, sor- I'm sorry that I confused you about Rashad Penny. So you were, were talking last night because I came over to watch your 10 to 15 children. Mm-hmm. And you're like, we're talking about running, drafting running backs in the first round. And you're like, yeah, the Seahawks gave up on Rashad Penny. And I'm like, wait, what? And you're like, yeah, they traded him to the Ravens for a fourth and a sixth round pick. And this was only plausible to me because I hadn't been on Twitter the entire time as I was watching 10 to 15 children. And I was like, wow, I thought I checked like before I got here. That really, that just came out? <laughs> for Rashad Penny news. <laughs> I mean, just I checked Twitter. Uh, it turns out that he was not traded. He remains a member of the Seattle Seahawks. And you just made this up completely. I I didn't know there was a mis- misinformation tweet that I saw. Did you? So you got duped by a fake tweet. Yeah. And then you duped me IRL. Yeah. It's fine. I I don't say, but the, the reality is, I think we both were like pretty okay with the idea of getting a fourth and a sixth oh, pick for a Oh, yeah. Day. By all means. In the last year of his contract, coming off a torn ACL and a season loss to injury, where and with five running backs in the room at the moment. So that that's that's kind of probably the more sinister perspective is that the Seahawks could have blown a first round pick on Rashad Penny and turned it around. But the, the reality is Rashad Penny is probably a very, very good person. And it's not his fault that he was a first round draft pick. Absolutely it's not. It's the Seahawks' fault. No, 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 no hold against Rashad Penny at all. Uh, chances of, well, I, I just, for the, for the Huskies, I think getting back at it and being able to play a game like this against Montana, you know, it's something that they didn't have the luxury of doing last season. And I think most importantly, neither playing against Montana or any non-conference opponents, nor playing in front of fans. Exactly. Neither, Neither of those luxuries. You haven't mentioned this though, but. The anticipation is, we still haven't heard this press conference from Jay Inslee, but the anticipation is that we should be expecting uh, vaccination or negative test requirements for any large-scale events that are happening in the state of Washington, including Husky football games. Including outdoor events. So yes, including Husky and Seahawks football games. So there was a a mention of that by a UW Daily reporter who talked about new rules on campus and that they didn't apply to sporty events, but that further guidance was coming. And first off, Jay Inslee, where the fuck are you at? <laughs> you, like, dog, just schedule the press conference. People will be there. Like, hurry up. You only have so much time. I get it. You're, you're doing your, your backroom negotiation or whatever, but like, there's only so much time until the Seahawks start playing games. Second uh, off. 18 days as we record this podcast. Possibly okay. seven, probably 17 by the time you listen. And forever by the time anybody actually listens. Oh, look, Mike Shot's going to tweet it out. I don't think people are going to make it this far, but if you record a podcast in the woods, <clears throat> but 
would like these 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 safety precautions to be announced at some point. Yeah. And you know, we've discussed this before. Look, our tickets for the Huskies are probably the safest sticks in the entire building, basically. You know, we're in the last row of the East End Zone. We are the most outdoors you can possibly be, and we are in the last row. Nobody, so no, nobody can breathe down on Yeah, us. there's no droplets. Like, we'll, we might be giving each other our own droplets, but that's it. But uh, the, the most important thing is that everybody is safe who's going to these events and making this choice and understanding what they're getting into going into it. Uh, I think for the most part, Husky Stadium is probably a relatively safe place. I didn't feel too bad going into that Sounders match. Would like to know, I think if, if you showed me vaccination status or negative COVID test, COVID test and this outdoor you know, facility that they play in, I would say that that is a pretty safe place to be. And I appreciated the amount of masking when people were on the concourse on Sunday night. It wasn't was 100%, but it was more than 50, I think. Yeah, there was some. But also at the same time, you know, it's nice to see that these things can happen again, for better or worse, that the Huskies are able to play a game against Montana. And, you know, it's a it's a throwaway game to a certain respect, but they're playing it and there are going to be fans there. And I think the chances of winning this one are 99%. You're like 97. Be a little more conservative here. Uh, I... My hope for this one is that they can, you know, I don't, I'm not expecting a 56 point margin of victory is that last time when it was a team that ended up playing in the, uh, the CFP, you know, the expanded New Year's six games against Penn state that year and had just come off playing in the actual college football playoff. Yeah. Uh, Jake Browning, you you can't compare any current, sorry, quarterbacks to Starling Jake Browning, but I understand. I, I'm hopeful that it's a blowout that gives them a chance to, you know, kind of get get some of their depths and playing time. I mean, if Sam Heward gets some snaps in this game, I think that's probably a good thing. Obviously, that would count towards, you know, the number of games that I think four games he's allowed to continue to redshirt. But if especially if he is you know, knowing that the Wazoo on, game will be canceled, of course, <laughs> well, uh, depending on Dylan O'Brien's health, Dylan O'Brien, Patrick, Patrick. O'Brien's health. Uh, the possibility that he's one snap away from playing at some point, if you can get him a couple of, you know, a chance to throw a couple of passes in a game like this ahead of the Michigan game, I think that's a very positive development. Sure. So there you go. We're going to have an actual football game that counts to discuss by the time we do this again next week. And then we will be previewing the Seahawks season opener in Indianapolis. No T.Y. Hilton. We'll see about Carson Wentz. We will see. Uh, and the other players who have been deemed close contacts and have been unavailable for practice this week as they're on the COVID-19 list. But uh, it's going to be a game. Well, on that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Number one, the worst podcast. I literally have the microphone balanced in like a box of just random shit. <laughs> Trash pandas, some Sasquatch playing cards, bicycle playing cards, like some fucking Sharpies and stuff. (laughs) This is the worst ever place that a microphone has ever been balanced going into a podcast. Any podcast in the history of Earth. What a professional setup we have going here.
going to tweet that out. 